from the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with me, Doc Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina and Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Okay, we are, we're there. We are at the, the full season preview here and it's time to start talking wind shares and all sorts of other things in terms of what we can expect from Florida State this season. After looking through the roster, after evaluating the personnel, looking at where, where things stand, some interesting Interesting things that we can sort of conclude from that and project from that, I think. So, first of all, just a reminder, I've been doing this for, what, this 11th, 11th year. Just a reminder, instead of just picking every game, we're picking the games with percentages, essentially, what what I think the likely percentage that Florida State wins the game or loses the game. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and then we're going to add that up for the final win total, the most likely win total for the year, and then we'll 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 go from there. But the reason that I prefer doing it that way is if you just say, well, you know, Florida State's win or loss, they're gonna win this game or they're gonna lose this game, and you treat it as binary. Well, first of all, you're with a team like this, you're gonna be right much more often than you're wrong on a game by game basis at least but that's going to obscure the the role of chance and also the fact that it's really really hard to win every game in which you're a favorite at the college level so just a reminder a team that is an 80% favorite to win a football game which means you're about a 14 point favorite in the football game that team if those two teams play 10 times the team that is an 80% favorite is expected to lose two out of those 10 times. So if you're going to win, say 10 games on a 12 game schedule, you need to be roughly an 80% favorite in every one of those games on average. That's, that's being a, a double digit 14 area point favorite in every game in order to hit, 10 wins in a 12 game season. Now, if you're going to win more than that, then that means you're going to need to play. You're going to need to have much higher odds of winning some games. So let's say you can put four or five games in the 90% or above category, 95%. Now you can be 80% or above on some of the others. And again, you're, you're expected to end up a little bit higher. The teams that win a lot, that win, say, 10, 11, 12 games a year are teams that are, fa- that are big favorites in a lot of games. And, and that's why it was so important. This is why, you know, the, the old saying is lose, clo- uh, lose big, lose close, win close, win big. Because you have to win big and you have to win big in a lot of games. You have to put games out of reach early in order to win a lot of games. That's just the reality of how college football works. And that's why it was so important that Florida State went on the run that they did last year at the end of the year, where they just obliterated a bunch of teams that were reeling and weren't really playing their best football or just were weaker teams. So, you know, and this was a criticism of people down the stretch you know, people coming into this year, it's like, well, Florida State last year only beat three teams with a winning record. Well, yeah, okay. But, and, and, you know, oh, they dominated those teams down the stretch, but they were bad. Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, Louisiana, Florida, and they only beat Florida by, by a score. But, you know, they, they're, they're, when, they, when you start obliterating teams, you know, they beat Boston College 44 to 14, Georgia Tech 41 16, Miami 45 to 3. Syracuse 38 to 3, Louisiana 49 to 17. When you start doing that to teams, it means that you're starting to learn how to put games away 
It means that you're, you're making the progress to the win big category to where you're those teams that might have a 10% chance of winning against you suddenly, because you've learned how to put teams away and, and double tap them early, those teams are no longer the, the threat to you that they were now, instead of being a 10% chance, which they might be in terms of odds and everything else, you've become a team that knows how to take care of those teams and you stop being, a, they stop being much of a threat to you. So you put those teams out, you put those teams out right away. That's why it was so important that Florida State closed the year the way that they did last year with that run. And then finishing with a couple close wins, you know, didn't didn't hurt. You'd like to see those be bigger wins, but it shows that they they're they're starting to progress. At the end of last year, they were starting to progress to a team that understood how to blow teams out and how to get to where you're not as much of a risk of of taking that upset. So Coming into this year, this is a team that's now one close and they started to win big. This is the year where you expect that next step, win big. And that means, you know, you can kind of put those percentages on them, but maybe, maybe if this team continues to be that kind of team where they, they take care of business against the lesser teams, you can start to, you can start to put more games in that likely win or almost sure win category. And that's the key to getting to where you want to be because, you know, when you start playing against peers now, now it's a little bit more up to luck and injuries and things like that. But that's, that's what you have to do to give yourself the at bats to be able to get to the next level. And that's why we talk about percentages in each games in in each game and then add them up in terms of expected win total. But I'll add a caveat to this at the end of all this. So that brings us to expectations for the year. And so what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is what, what I've done in previous years, the last couple of years, and first break down what I see on the whole in terms of the team. And then I'm going to break things up into tiers, into where I see different games falling in terms of whether the, whether FSU, what, what kind of matchups these, these break down into. Then we'll talk win shares and then we'll go from there. So first of all, uh, I think this this team is there's a lot of reasons for optimism with this team reasons to to take the over as it were a lot of reasons to take the over on the uh the win total for FSU this year against against Vegas or you know against against the the odds makers i think the over is is probably more likely to hit this year and 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 here's the reasons so last year, what were the weaknesses on last year's team? What, why did last year's team ultimately not win? Why did they lose the three games that they did? Why did they not finish better than they did overall on the season? And you can, you can break those, those things down into specific weaknesses. First, offensive line depth was a factor. And the fact that they lost two probable starters before the LSU game, those were that was a significant problem. Once they'd lost Lyles, who you know may have been a starter, may not have been, but he would at least would have been uh, a, would would have been competent depth. The fact that they lost Lyles and especially Bless Harris before the LSU game really hurt the upside for that offense because Bless Harris gave them a really athletic player on the edge who could do all the things that they want a tackle to do in this offense, a real threat as a puller because of that athleticism, really good in the, in the screen game and a guy who can pass block because of, again, because of that athleticism and and a big guy as well, long. And you lose those two guys before the, before the, the season really starts in earnest. And then you get banged up, you get further banged up where Robert Scott gets banged up. And now you're now you're down to your third tackle who really wasn't even playing tackle prior to that. And the backups that you have are you don't feel as good about at that at that stage last year. Got banged up a little bit on the inside. Dylan Gibbons played on one leg a good portion of the year. Offensive line depth and overall quality on the offensive line across the board once they got to the LSU game that the quality of the starters was not where they wanted to be. So offensive line remained something of an issue, although they, they turned out 
pretty well. I mean, it was an average offensive line or so last year with that group. So that was one thing. Then defensive tackle depth in the defensive line preview. We talked about this at length. This was a completely different defense. This defense played at pretty close to an elite, like top five, certainly top 10 level when, when Fabian Lovett was on the field. When he was not on the field, this defense was above average, but not by a mile and had some weaknesses and was very soft on the interior. Teams could run the football. Better teams could run the football between the tackles. And if they can go straight at you, you got serious problems. And then that was compounded by the fact that they had limitations at corner last year. So they had to play more conservatively over the top against teams that had wide receivers that could beat you. Because they, they decided that based on the prior year where they gave up a ton of verticals, we're not doing that this year. We know what the limitations of the corners is, gonna, uh, uh, is on this team. We're going to go ahead and flip that over. We're going we're gonna to take away the verticals and we're going to force teams to beat us in the running game and so on. With Lovett on the field, that worked really well because teams couldn't run on the interior so well. Once he went out, the teams that could run on the interior which turned out to be Wake Forest to a lesser extent, NC State. That, that game was more of an offensive egg being laid and you know one of the more bizarre plays you'll ever see that, that ended up uh, being the difference in that game. And then Clemson. Those teams were all able to run the football in Florida State, as was Florida, but the offense was able to beat Florida's defense enough. OU had some success against Florida State running it at them. And again, it's when when you're choosing between okay, we're going to give up verticals because we've got some weakness on we have to protect our corners or are we going to give up the, you know, some plays on the interior and and let teams gash you a little bit in the running game? That's a bad choice to have to make. You want to be able to take away something. Well, they decided to take away the verticals and kind of live with teams being able to run it on them at times, and that worked well enough, but against good teams, that was a, a major problem. That combo is tough. Tight end position was average to below average last year. Didn't really have great tight end play. Had pretty good blocking once Biscuit got going, but you know overall was average to below average as a whole unit. Then defensive end depth. Once Verse got hurt and was playing on one leg for you know once he actually got back. Once Verse got hurt, the edge group was not was not that great. So that's what those were your weaknesses last year. And they aggressively worked to improve those areas. And I think they the evidence shows that they hit across the board. They're significantly improved across the board on those things. In terms of offensive line quality and depth, Bless Harris returns and you add Jeremiah Byers. So now you have three tackles that you think are, if not all ACC level, pushing on that category between Robert Scott, Bless Harris, and Jeremiah Byers. You feel like all three of those guys are top-end ACC-type players who can, who can compete and block upper-level pass rushers and, and, and be maulers in the run game. You feel really good about your tackles this year. And then they added Casey Roddick and Keandre Jones on the inside, which gives you sufficient depth on the inside. Now, you do have some concerns about how well you're going to be able to handle really quick interior defensive linemen with, with the group that you've got, but maybe you put Washington in there. If you, if you feel a little bit uncertain about that, you've got some options on the interior. Now offensive line and offensive line depth looks like it is now a significant strength of this team instead of last year being a problem at times defensive tackle depth. They brought in Braden Fisk, of course, Daryl Jackson also, but we'll just, continue to complain about that situation. And then the development of the young talent with farmer now a year older, significantly bigger, ready to go compared to last year playing as a freshman Tifase in a, in a position to actually help this year, instead of being on the scout team where he was in, he was not eligible to play last year. And then lions being able to contribute a little bit, another really big body plus Dennis Briggs, a veteran getting healthy again and being available. So that's, that's a significant improvement at the defensive tackle spot. Now you feel better, especially if, if Lovett is ready to, ready to roll and he's able to play the whole year compared to last year, 
Now you are way better at defensive tackle. Then at corner, they went and got Fentrell Cypress. AZ Thomas has gotten healthy and has developed. He's ready to roll. They also changed the... I didn't really address this in the cornerback preview, probably should have, but I didn't think the corners were very well coached the last few years. I thought technique-wise and especially communication-wise on certain things, they just did not handle their eyes and, and their feet very well at times. Just overall technique was not great. I was not thrilled. And I thought that that position group probably needed a change in, in, in terms of new leadership, and I think they've gotten everything they needed at that spot. So I think that position group is going to be a lot better. Cypress, Thomas, and then Jerry and Jones getting healthy. I think corner is no longer really a, a as much of a limiting factor. We'll see how, how good they can be, whether they can actually have any sort of dominant performances out there. But I think you're now at a point where you don't feel like you have to protect that group as much as you did. And I think you feel like your defensive backs are probably going to communicate a little better and, and work more cohesively as a unit than they did previously. Then at defensive end, mentioned defensive end depth. Once verse went out, you're basically swapping Derek McClendon for Edmund. I think that I think you're better off with Edmund than McClendon. And then you're swapping Byron Turner for you're swapping Leonard Warner for Byron Turner. Now you combine those two things. That's probably about a wash, but but the overall talent exchange you're better on each side on twenty in terms of twenty three in terms of ceiling. Edmund has a good good bit higher ceiling than McClendon, certainly a bigger athlete, more dynamic athlete, and Turner is a much more explosive and dynamic athlete than Warner if he can stay healthy, but Warner came into last year having had an injury history. So I think that's about a wash. Now, if Verse stays healthy at, at edge all year, then that group is obviously vastly improved. Then you went out and you improved some things that were already strengths last year. Pokey Wilson, really good player as your number two wide receiver. You traded him out for a number one wide receiver in Keon Coleman. You take Micah Pittman at slot, really reliable player, uh, you know, a, a, a leader out there, uh, an emotional guy that is able to make you better, and you trade him out for Destin Hill and Winston Wright, each of whom is a more dynamic player, Hill in particular. Once Hill gets up and running at, at slot, you, you the, the offense in terms of having five guys that are not just players, but are game breakers really, really changes things. So then you, you you have to ask, okay, is there anything worse than last year? Is there anything that you expect to be worse at than last year? Actually, before that, you also expect to be better at place kicker than you were at least in the first half of last year when the experiment in, in changing the steps just absolutely screwed fits up. Now, by the end of last year, he was getting more reliable again, and he's been pretty reliable through camp. So you don't expect special teams to be a game loser this year where it just costs you a game. And I think it cost them the NC State game last year. I don't think there's any real question about that. Special teams cost them the game last year at NC State. I don't think that this is a situation where you're likely to have at least the kicking game. We'll see about the return game. But the kicking game is unlikely to be something that costs you a football game this year compared to last year. Last year, it was a significant weakness through the first half, especially. Now you ask, okay, where might you be worse than last year? You've done a lot to improve yourself. Where might you be worse? I think the first and most obvious place you look is punt return. Micah Pittman was rock solid and super reliable catching punts. They saved a lot of hidden yardage with the way he caught the football as a punt returner. So that that's still an open question. Now, Keon Coleman has looked really good on that in practice, but we talk about practice. Yeah, we talk about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? I'm going to have to see how he does it in the game. I'm optimistic, but you don't know. And that's something that might be worse. And that is something that could cost you a game. It did cost them a game in 2021 against Florida. I think safety is a, is a position where you kind of expect to be a little worse. Losing uh, Jamie Robinson, who not only the, the the player, the reliable player, but the leadership there, you, you expect to be maybe a little worse at safety. But that's still a maybe. I mean, you might end up being pretty close to as good at safety, but I, I do think you're probably going to be worse at safety. 
And then I think there's still question questions at running back in terms of, you know, Treshawn Ward is a big loss. Now, the, the loss there is that he's a proven player with great vision who is able to run against better defenses. Now, you, you're replacing him with the higher ceiling guys who ultimately are the reason that he ended up transferring to begin with. So you kind of expect that to be better, but it might not be. So that's where, you know, you might have some doubts. So if we're talking about the reasons for optimism, the biggest reason you, you feel like those we- a lot of weaknesses have been addressed, especially on defense. But the biggest reason is this is going to be, I think, an absolutely elite offense. I'm talking about top five in the country offense, averaging well over 40 points a game offense. And I think this is a, a pick your poison situation akin to what you saw in 2020 in 2013. But I think this is a bigger play offense than the 2013 offense was. First of all, that's partly how Mike Norvell tends to call it versus Jimbo. And secondly, I think personnel wise, this offense has more game breakers, more big play guys than that 2013 did that they're that they're putting on the field at once. And I got a question about this, actually. Merrill Coleman asked me. Uh, if, if Florida State comes out in 12 personnel or 21, depending on where Bell lines up and then are able to establish the run, how do you think defensive coordinators will try to stop FSU while not obviously not wanting to expose their corners or safeties to one on ones with Keon Coleman and Wilson and Bell to quote Bell? You can't double at everyone. Well, that is the thing. It's a pick your poison situation. And I think what this boils down to is it becomes a personnel issue. Most defensive coordinators are simply not going to have answers for that because at some point you're going to have to have a single, you're going to have to have single coverage on someone. And if you choose to double everybody, then you're leaving the box open. And now you're, as you said, you're going to start, you're going to start by establishing the run. How are you going to handle that? Well, you're not, you're, you're just going to get somebody that's going to get beat because you can't double everyone. So what you end up what you what you're likely to end up seeing is teams trying to bring more pressure and blitz and force Jordan Travis in the offense to make quicker decisions and live with some big plays. So I think that even ups the the, the likelihood of some of these some of these players your Coleman's your your uh, your Johnny Wilson's those guys Destin Hill Jaheim Bell. I think it ups the odds of those guys with bigger plays down the field because defenses are going to realize, look, if we if we don't do something here, they're they're going to take advantage of those one-on-ones. There's going to be a one-on-one somewhere. So if there if I know there's going to be a one-on-one that I'm going to lose somewhere, then I want to make sure that I'm trying to affect the quarterback such that he can't put it out there in a way that I'm in a way that's going to challenge that. So now I get more aggressive as a defensive coordinator. Now, I, that may mean I get shelled. It may mean I get blown out by more, but that's the chance I'm probably going to take. And I think you're going to see that from defensive coordinators this year. They're going to probably try to bring more pressure in those situations because the benefit of that is if you try to bring more pressure, you can try to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. So essentially you're saying, okay, we're going to sell out to stop the run and we're going to force Jordan Travis and those wide receivers to 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 beat us with Jordan Travis arm and win those one-on-one matchups. And if they just keep beating our defensive backs in one-on-ones, then, well, you know, you tip your cap. That's, I think, the solution that most defensive coordinators are likely to take in that situation. Like, well, look, we just couldn't cover Johnny Wilson, couldn't cover Keon Coleman, couldn't cover Jaheim Bell, couldn't cover Dustin Hill, you know, but we got our hits in, tried to rattle Jordan Travis, and, and that was that. So that's what I think you've got to be prepared for if you're Mike Norvell in this in this Florida State offense is is teams basically trying to to press you as much as possible and then you know they'll probably play more over the top with their with their defensive backs. So they're going to try to press you. They're you know you're talking about fire zone or you know that sort of thing with a lot of pressure. You probably bring in 6 more often than 5. But you bring 6, you keep that 7th guy in the box and then you're you're trying to cover with four that that additional guy in the box if you release the back he's going to take the back but then the rest are you're covering one-on-one across i think you cover one-on-one across the board as much as anything else and you try to keep your your corners playing over the top so that they just can't beat you with deep stuff and you're forcing jordan travis and those receivers to win on glance routes to win on comebacks on back shoulder stuff all of that stuff throw it underneath and force those receivers not only to win those one-on-ones, but to make somebody miss 
to get a big, big play downfield. That's what I would do. That's what I think you're going to see from most of these teams. But it still boils down to personnel. If you don't have the corners to be able to hold up and, and make those tackles, then it's not going to matter. You're just going to get beat anyway. You're going to have to have corners who can hold up enough to where Travis is just not automatically going hot to whichever receiver he wants to, and then that guy just runs for a score. You're going to have to have good enough corners. you got to have good enough safeties to be able to do that. And then you got to have at least two dynamic pass rushers or dynamic defensive linemen or linebackers who can get to the quarterback and cause havoc. That's what you're going to need. And not everybody has that roster. I think LSU probably has part of it. I don't think they have the, the defensive backs. And without Mason Smith, I'm not sure they have the, the, the front. But they've got Perkins and you know Spates, who those guys can affect you. So they're going to try to do what they can with those guys to affect the game. But I think LSU basically lacks one of the things that they're going to need to have. And that is the, the steady defensive backs to be able to stop what Florida state's going to do in that. And again, without Mason Smith, I'm not sure they're able to apply the pressure that they're going to want to apply to change it by affecting the quarterback. So that's the problem there. Clemson, I think has the personnel. They've got the corners. They've certainly got the safeties and they've got the defensive line to try to chat. And the best linebacking crew, probably outside of Athens and, and LSU, those are probably the three best linebacking groups in the, in the country. Georgia, LSU, and and Clemson. So, you know, you look at Clemson's defense and they're going to feel like they can probably one-on-one you more often and bring that pressure and try to affect the quarterback in ways that, you know, try to limit the running back running game on the way to the quarterback and force those wide receivers to, to beat you over and over and over again on catching something 12, 15 yards up the field and then turning it into a score and hope that Jordan Travis makes a mistake against pressure. I think Jordan Travis is going to see more blitz looks and more pressure this year than he's probably ever seen in his career. Because again, the danger of blitzing a guy like Jordan Travis is legs. You break contain, you break, you know, up the gut. All of a sudden, somebody's slightly out of their lane and all of a sudden it's a 40 yard touchdown. So that's the risk you're willing to take. But I think that's what you're going to see. And that's the, that's the thing. You take away those verticals, force FSU to execute underneath. But again, all that does is that opens up for the big plays from the guys that can make those big plays. Travis's legs, big play running backs who can all fly. Big plays from Jaheim Bell. Big play from plays from Destin Hill, from Winston Wright. They've got speed to make those things a problem if you do decide to do that one-on-one and bring pressure. You're going to have hot routes to guys that can fly and break tackles. The other thing, too, is in terms of this being an elite offense, I think that more depth on offense means that you're likely not going to have a true dud game like you had a couple of last year with NC State and Wake Forest. Last year, you got into those dud games and you kind of they became duds because, first of all, Travis a little banged up and then the offensive line basically had trouble blocking NC State and Wake consistently enough to establish the running game in, in those situations. And if you end up in that situation again, then you're upping your chance of losing by a lot. Last year's offensive line backups, though, going into the first game, was Turnitin, Washington, Estes, Schrader, and Armella. And then, of course, Turnitin was a starter for week two. Going into LSU, your your backups were Washington, Estes, Schrader, and Armella. And that's a true freshman Armella. Estes and Schrader are still on the roster, but they're no longer second on the depth chart there. And Instead of Turnitin, you have Bless Harris as your backup offensive tackle or Robert Scott, as it turns out. One of those guys. So you feel a lot better with Harris slash Scott, Washington, Keandre Jones, Armella, and Early, both in their second year, than you did last year in terms of guys being able to step in. And I think you've improved your starters as a whole up front. I think this team avoids the dud games and probably scores 30 plus in every game. And if you do that, that means you're much less likely to get upset. If you look at teams that get upset 
highly ranked teams, really good football teams that get upset as often as not. What happens is the offense just has a bit of a dud game and you wind up with like 24 points instead of your usual 34. And then you end up getting upset 27, 24, that sort of thing by a team that manages to to turn you over a couple times and and just beats a, a corner a couple times. That's where you where you lose those games. Now. On the flip side. If we're going to talk about reasons that you might want to take the under for this team. Well, I do think they still have to stay healthy in key spots. This is not a team where you've got, you know, four experienced quarterbacks on the roster. I think they're a little, still a little bit thinner than ideal at, at, at defensive end and at, and at linebacker in terms of experienced and reliable depth. And I think the safety position, you know, is still a little bit of a concern. At this stage, especially in the fact that the the most difficult games you have are two of your first four games. That first month for a, a secondary with several new pieces and new spots, that's one of the concerns that you bring into the year. Can you avoid the busts that happen when guys are still getting used to their spots and still getting used to playing in, the, in a defense? That sort of thing. And then I think also... Benson and the new set of complementary backs have to prove that they can do it against top defenses. And I think that's still as good as that group is. I think that's still an open question. Those are the reasons that you might take the under, you know, questions about possible injuries, which is a, true for every team in the country concerns about the secondary in the first month. I think they'll gel as the year goes on and there's enough talent there. And then the question of how good can the running back can the running game be against the top level teams. And I think, I think they will be pretty good, but they still got to prove it. So, okay. That brings us then to the next stage. And that is where we start to break down the actual games. And what I did starting in 2021 and 2022 is I started breaking, breaking things down into essentially five categories, categories where Florida state, you divide the, the various matchups of the year categories where Florida state has advantages, significant advantage over opponents. That's one category. And this is a category where, you know, you're 90% plus favorites, that kind of thing. Then you've got a category where you should win, let's say 70%, 75% in a, between that and 90%. You got the should win category. All things being equal, you expect to win those games. Then the coin flip category, those are games, you know, 60%, 60-40 or less each way, somewhere between there. That's what you do. Then you've got the should lose games. So those are games where, you know, you are, say, 70 70 to 90% odds of losing. And then games where you're overmatched, where you are, say, 10% likely to win that game. Now, in 2021, so this is a good illustration of where Florida State is and where they progressed to compared to a couple years ago. In 2021, I preseason had Florida State with three significant advantage games, and they went two and one in those games, Jacksonville State, UMass and Syracuse. Of course, the Jacksonville State game being notorious. Then there was a should win category where I had two and they went 0 and two in those games, Louisville and NC State. Both of those bad losses. Then they were then there were coin flip games. They were there were two of those, and they went one and one in those. Wake Forest loss and Boston College, where they won close. And then I had three should lose games, and they went two and one in the should lose games. And I mentioned this last year. Mike Norvell has actually outcoached his his opposing number in each of the should lose or overmatch games that he's had at Florida state, though that hasn't always turned into to wins, but they went two and one in the should lose games. And, and one of those, and the loss was in overtime against Notre Dame in the opener. Then they were overmatched in two games. These are games where, you know, I didn't think they could block the opposing defensive line and they lost at Clemson 30 to 20 and Florida 24, 21 at Florida. So they went 0 and two in those. So, more or less right. The, the, the season turned out a little bit worse in the 0-2 Louisville and NC State should win category. And then, of course, the Jacksonville State loss. Several things went wrong early in that year. Last year, 
things changed a little bit. They, they'd improved. They'd raised the floor a good bit. So they had a significant edge, I, I judged preseason, in four games. And they went 4-0 in those games. And none of them are close. Duquesne, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisiana. All of those games were walks. Should win in three games. Louisville, Boston College, and Wake. They went 2-1 and one in those three games. Four coin flip games. Florida, LSU, Miami, and NC State. And they went 3-1 and one in those. And two of them were close. One of them was a blowout. And the other one should have been a win in terms of NC State. I had zero in the should lose category and one in the overmatched category. And that was Clemson. So that's how they were last year. This year, instead of four in the significant edge category like they had last year, I think there's seven. I think there's seven games this year that you can pencil in a win in terms of expecting that coming into the into the schedule. I think there's seven games where it would be a, a real surprise if Florida State lost that game. And that's Southern Miss at Boston College, Virginia Tech coming off a bye, Syracuse, Duke, Wake, and North Alabama. I think you can pencil in seven wins in this schedule. And what I said the last couple of years is the key to getting there as a program is getting more and more games that you can get into the significant edge category so that you can just pencil those wins in. And if you can narrow your season down to a couple of coin flip games, now you're getting to where you're legitimately a top program. There are seven games in that significant edge category this year. And I don't think that's especially disputable. And I think there are three games in the should win category. That's at Pitt, Miami, and then at Florida. Those are the three games in the should win category. So you expect Florida State to win those games based on matchups and other things, but not really that surprising if you drop one of those. You kind of expect to go at least two and one there, but you know, probably should go three and one there or three and oh there, but you're not surprised if you go two and one. And then I think there's two coin flip games, LSU and at Clemson. Those are your coin flip games. Nobody would be surprised if Florida State beat LSU. You got a lot of people picking LSU. But nobody's, nobody thinks that LSU is just far and away that much better. And the same with Clemson. A lot of people are picking Florida State to beat Clemson either there or in the ACC title game. That's basically a coin flip game. And then the, the real difference, and this is where the floor comes in. I have zero games in the should lose or overmatch category. Last year, there was one in the overmatch category. And none in the, in the should lose category. So that was one. One, you came into the year expecting like, okay, we can just pencil in a loss. Two years ago, I had five in that category of should lose or overmatched. You could pencil in two losses and then you should probably lose three more than that. So you're kind of expecting to go into the year going seven and five. Last year, you go in with one loss, pencil it in, and then no should loses, but you know, then with a couple coin flips with what four coin flips, you expect to go 10 and three after, after the bowl game. And that's what they did. So breaking it down this way actually really helps, right? You expect four coin flip games. So you split those one overmatched count that as three losses on the expected situation. There you go. There's your, there's your numbers on the season this year. You have two coin flip games. You split those that's one loss. And then you have zero should lose or overmatch games and you're 11 and one. So if they basically replicate last year in terms of that, this team goes 11 and one. Now those should win games are not, are not pencil in games. You still have to win and you have to still have to play to win those games. And any of those teams can beat you. But now, instead of going into the year, basically expecting to go seven and five, you're going into the year expecting to go 10 and two or 11 and one. I think that's basically where you're at. If you're applying that breakdown, that's the way that I that I see this season coming in. Now, what that means is both the floor and the ceiling have been raised. And I think there's a real chance this and we'll talk about this in a moment that this team could go undefeated. And there are really five games that they don't have a sizable advantage in personnel wise and otherwise. So if we start looking at this in terms of win shares, in terms of percentages, it looks a little different as you total those up in, you know, traditional win share fashion. But 
the way I see it is as follows. And this goes along with, you know, my typical way of, of seeing this through some, some power ratings and everything else. But I've got them as considering Mason Smith being out and all of that. And this is spoiling my LSU preview a little bit. I've got them as a, as a 70% odds of beating LSU in this game, given sort of some of the stuff that we know about LSU coming out of camp, the lack of Mason Smith. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again on the preview. I'm not sure Florida State beats LSU last year with Mason Smith. But I, I, they were able to block LSU when, with him not on the field. Go back and watch that first drive when he was on the field. And I think he makes a huge difference not on the field again here. And I think without him, this is a you know 70%. I'm, I'm giving FSU 0.7 against LSU. I think against Southern Miss, you're like 0.98, you know, 98% somewhere in there, maybe 0.99. Depends a little bit on the outcome of LSU because you may have a little bit of a hangover. You're on a short week there. Give it a 0.8, 0.98. At BC, it's a tough place to play because it's so sleepy, but you like to have that in September. That's fine. I think that's 0.95. And then at Clemson, I, I think even though that's at Clemson, Looking at the composition of these rosters right now, if I'm handicapping this game right now, I think Florida State should be a, a, about a 5% favorite to win that game. So 0.55 for that game. And the reason for that is I think there are some, there's a lot of people are counting on Garrett Riley to completely radically change that offense and that that offense is going to look like LS or like TCU's offense did last year. And all of a sudden he's just going to unlock a superstar quarterback and they're just going to be dominant on offense. I don't think that's probable because I have some serious questions about Clemson's wide receiver group. TCU was able to do what they did last year in part because they had some studs at wide receiver, NFL type guys. And I think, you know, Clemson has a couple guys who will play in the NFL, but the jury is still out to me on whether or not they actually have the kind of players that they've had out wide in recent years. And in the last couple of years, I don't think they've shown evidence that they have, you know, your T. T. Higgins, Sammy Watkins, New Copkins type player. I don't think they've got those guys on this roster. And without that, I'm not sure that they are able to trade blows with Florida State the way that they you know, that you would expect past Clemson teams that have had those dudes to do. And again, you look at Clemson's defense; it's the best defense in the ACC. I don't think there's any question about that. And they're the best equipped to be able to face Florida State's offense because they're going to be able to cover outside better than anybody else while bringing pressure. And they've got linebackers to be able to handle Bell and others much better than anybody else. Nevertheless, I still think your 6'7 and 6'4 wide receivers out wide end up being the trump card in that game against Clemson, just like Clemson's were against Alabama when they played them. Same stuff. You look at what Wake Forest was able to do against Clemson. Yes, I know they're, they're a year older in the, on the outside, Yes, they were not all healthy last year at corner. But you look at what A.T. Perry and, and Donovan Green in that group were able to do on the outside. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about when you have that kind of elite downfield big receiver. I think that that's what gives makes puts me in the frame of mind to think Florida State should probably be, be favored in Death Valley in that game. So by my numbers, the most likely record leaving the first month is 3-1. and one. That's 3.18 wins in the first month. So that's your most likely record, I think, somewhere in there. Now, if you look at the FPI, by the way, the FPI has Florida, has Florida State as a .35 against LSU. It really likes LSU. And a .3 against Clemson. So the most likely record, according to FPI, is 2-2. Two and two. Totally possible. But I, again, I think Florida State gets, gets LSU. And I think they've got a, you know, a little bit better than a coin flip shot against Clemson. And if they're able to win both of those, don't be surprised if Florida State runs the table from there. But that doesn't mean the rest of the schedule is just a just a walkover. I do think, you know, Virginia Tech, that's a .95. I don't think this is a good Virginia Tech team. I don't think they'll be able to throw the ball. and I don't think they'll be able to score like Florida State. I think Syracuse is a .9, maybe more. I think they're going to struggle against this team. Duke is a .9. The, the thing that scares you about them is they've got a really good quarterback, but they just lost their top receiver. So, I mean, it's great to have a good quarterback, but you've got to have guys that can make plays against the, against the guys that are covering them. And I just don't think Wake, or I don't think Duke quite has that this year. I think Wake Forest at Wake Forest, 
tough place to play again for, you know, just because it's so sleepy. But this team on a losing streak to wake, I think they'll take care of business. I think that's a point nine. Then I think you you hit I think this wake at wake at pit Miami stretch is probably your next most difficult in the, in, in the season after the first month. Because that at pit game at that time of year is dangerous. That's going to be a good pit team. Narduzzi is going to bring the, the house all the time. But again, I think the problem is they're not going to be able to single cover Florida State pretty much across the board. And I think FSU is going to be able to, to walk away on that one. But I, I'm going to give that one a 0.75 because Pitt in that time of year, at that stage of the, of the, uh, of the schedule, it's a dangerous game. And then you've got two FCS games in a row. You've got Miami at home. I think that's a 0.8. I think this dangerous, this Miami team is more dangerous, I think potentially more dangerous than a lot of people think. They're, I think they're going to be potentially really good on the offensive line. They're going to be really good on the defensive line. And they've got a guy who's been really good at quarterback. So if they can figure some things out in terms of the play calling, which they were abysmal at last year in terms of running that offense, coordinating everything, they fix some of that stuff. And that Miami team suddenly a lot better than they were last year because they've got talent on the roster. There's a lot of talent on the roster. So I'm giving Miami a 0.8 because it's at Florida State. I do think they're going to have trouble covering FSU. Again, that's kind of the, the trump card over and over again here. But don't be surprised if by, the, by that point in the year, Miami is actually a ranked team and, and is looking you know better than, than expected. Then you got your second FCS game in a row with North Alabama at home. I'm giving that a one. And then at Florida. And this is, again, a game. It's not only a rivalry game, but it's at Florida on the road. And I think this Florida defense is going to be really good. I've got serious questions about Florida offensively. I don't think Graham Mertz is really going to be a dynamic player for them, but Florida might be fighting for a bowl here. And I think that's going to be a a bigger fight than you might think. And there's sufficient talent defensively to cause some problems for you up front. So I think that's going to be an interesting one. But again, I'm going to give, I'm going to give FSU a, a 0.8 there. So by my numbers, if I add all those up, it's three wins, three and one after first month and 10 and uh, 10 and two as the most likely, if you add up the percentages and just say, okay, all things being equal, you know, normal luck over the course of the year, that sort of thing, 10 and two is what you would expect. Now that differs from my 11 and one earlier in terms of significant edge should win coin flip, et cetera. The win share says 10 and two, but I ultimately think this is a team that has great culture and leadership. I think they have difference makers in exactly the right spots. And I think they're more likely to end up bettering the 10 and two. I think this team, I'm going to go with 11 and one as my projection for this team. And I think if this team starts four and that I think they run the table. And I do think this team should be the favorite to win the ACC, whether they beat Clemson or not. I think, uh, in that first matchup, I think they should be, th- th- they're probably likely to win the ACC title game if they get to that point in, in a rematch. This team should be the favorite to win the ACC. Now, next thing, I want to take a look real briefly and give you my thoughts on the national stuff. Nationally, first of all, I think the three finalists in New York for the Heisman are going to be Jordan Travis, Caleb Williams, and Drake May. If Florida State winds up having the year that I think they're going to have. If they go 10, if they go 11 and one, if they win the ACC and go say 12 and one, I think Jordan Travis may well win the Heisman because he's going to have the opportunities. Caleb Williams has a very good chance to repeat. And then Drake may could just put up numbers and, and do things that nobody else can. So I think those are your most likely Heisman Heisman odds. I actually like Jordan Travis as a, as in terms of if you're going on betting odds and all that, where he sits in the, in the race, it's probably a good value right now. Now, in terms of my conference champs for the SEC, I think Georgia wins the conference. I feel better about their quarterback and their overall depth than I do about their the, their competitors. I do think Texas A&M is going to surprise teams, surprise people this year with a, cup, with a better season than expected. Probably something like you know eight or nine wins this year, and then I think they're a national title contender next year. But I think the 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 SEC West kind of eats itself. And Georgia winds up walking through the the East and, you know, taking the SEC title game. 
I think in the Big Ten, Ohio State ends up reclaiming that. That wide receiver group is filthy, and I do think they'll figure out the quarterback position. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State win that. I think that's the most wide-open conference. And of course, the biggest question to me is whether Ohio State's going to be physical enough to beat Michigan this year. I mean, the last couple of years, they've, they've just gotten manhandled by Michigan up front. You know what? I'm going to change that pick. I'm going to go with Michigan. Just because I, until Ohio State proves to me that they're a, a physical enough team to do that, I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with Michigan in that game. Uh, even though I think Ohio State probably is the second most talented and second best team in the country, or third most talented and second best team in the country, I think I'm going to go with Michigan. Michigan in the Big Ten. Pac 12, I'm going to go with USC. Big 12, I'm going to go with Texas. And then uh, in terms of the college football playoff, I think that's going to be Georgia, Michigan, Texas, and Florida State in the college football playoff. And for national champs, I'm going to go with the with the three-peat. I think Georgia should be favored to win the national title from here because they are the most talented team. I think they've got a good quarterback uh, to, re- to replace Stetson Bennett. The thing is, I do think if Georgia doesn't get it, it'll be because they weren't able to replace Bennett enough, even though they've got a good quality quarterback. And I like him better than the other options in the, in the SEC on, in terms of the contenders. Stetson Bennett saved them with his legs multiple times over the last couple of years. And I'm not sure they're going to get that from this year. So that's going to be an interesting thing. But if I'm just playing the odds, I'm going with Georgia. Now, here's the interesting thing. If it comes down to Florida State and Georgia in the college football playoff, I think Florida State might have more than a coin flip shot against that Georgia team, just because not because they're a better roster or anything like that. I don't think that's true. But because of the wide receiver Jordan Travis combo and just how that transpires, if you look at the matchups across the board, that becomes a really, really interesting game. I think FSU has kind of a coin flip puncher's chance in that game. I mean, you look at Ohio State and UGA last year. Ohio State wins that game if if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt. So that becomes really interesting. But that's that's where I'm going to leave it in terms of the national stuff. Gone pretty long on this uh, on this preview. Still got one left in terms of the true LSU breakdown, but this has been my preseason, my full season preview for Florida State. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>